welcome to Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the word. I want to welcome those who are listening to air on airjesus.com. It is a pleasure to stand before you and bring the word of God. This morning we're going to come quickly from the book of Romans chapter 8. Very familiar to a lot of people. Uh, we've heard it before. We've believed in it. We've trusted in it. We've had faith in it. We've thought about it. Now that you've done all that, let's see what you're going to actually do with it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin our reading with verse 24. And it says, For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We're going to focus on verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen. I want to talk quickly to you today about the ugly and the good. The ugly and the good. When given this topic, a lot of people might scratch their head and wonder, why didn't I say the good and the ugly? Well, I started changing the way I presented stuff after training with one of my coworkers. I teach people how to do their jobs better with the company that I work for. And periodically, I will train other instructors and in how to do the same thing. One friend of mine uh, that I made I noticed that he started paying attention to the negative things that were said. So as I started talking to him and evaluating him on his performance, I started thinking to myself, I want to end on what is good instead of what is bad. Because typically we as human beings will focus on the negative rather than the positive. So with this sermon, I want to start off again by saying I want to talk about the ugly and the good. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about a four-letter word that is very powerful. So powerful that an election was changed because of that one word. That word, as I say it, you're probably very familiar with it. You probably already know it before I say it. That word is hope. We use it so casually, I wonder if we really understand how powerful it is. I wonder if we really understand its meaning. And if we do, then what do we do with it? We're asked about future events as whether or not we like for them to take place. Many of us would probably say, I hope so. Say, well, I hope so. And in saying, I hope so, we're really not having that assurance that it's going to take place. We're just throwing a prayer out there saying, God, let it happen. I want to put it out to you that hope is more than just something that can casually happen. Hope changed elections. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, as we start talking about uh, this chapter, I want to kind of quickly bring you forward from chapter 1. Now, Paul declares his main theme of this entire book in chapter 1, that the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. It doesn't matter your race, your background, your age. Anything about you is null and void. The only thing that matters is whether or not you believe that the gospel is your ticket to salvation. 
This declaration is then held in suspension until chapter 3, verse 21. While Paul digresses to show that all people are in need of salvation, the Gentiles have broken the law of conscience and the Jews the law of Moses. Paul then returns to his opening theme. In a classic statement of the Christian gospel, he explains that righteousness comes by grace, by the grace of God, through people's trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ. The example of Abraham testifies that the promise of God is realized through faith. If you can remember, Abraham hoped in having a child. With him being well up in age, he had no reason to hope other than God saying, I'm going to give you a child. And based on the word of God, Abraham hoped and believed. The Bible tells us that because of his faith um, in in the book of Hebrews chapter uh, 11, it says that it was accounted to Abraham as righteousness. Now, the, the example of Abraham should make it clear in our minds that if we can truly believe in the word of God, anything can happen. Paul goes on also to say that the benefits of justification are peace and confidence before God. Thus, Christ's ability to save is greater than Adam's ability to corrupt. See, it does not matter how strong the Adamic nature is in you. The power of Christ trumps anything that Adam could have done to you because of the finished work of Christ. Paul then takes up the problem of sin in the Christian life. Rather than acting as a stimulus to sin, grace then draws us to a loyal union with Christ. See, instead of focusing on sin, we should focus then on grace. There's a problem that you want to overcome? Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the grace of God. The very grace that God gives you. And that grace, we hear it as unmerited favor, but it's more than just unmerited favor. It's the desire and the power that God gives you to do his will. So when we hope in the grace of God, then we're hoping in something that we know for sure that can change us. Christ has freed us from slavery to sin so that we may become slaves of righteousness. Paul admits that the law brings sin to light, but sin convicts us of our need of a savior. Because we have sinned, because we have done wrong, we realize we cannot save ourselves. Our eyes then have to look for help somewhere else. And our help, obviously, is in Jesus Christ. Paul concludes the first half of his book by one of the most triumphant chapters of the whole Bible. Believers are not condemned by God, but are raised by the power of the Holy Spirit to face all adversity through the redeeming love of God. Chapter 8 to me is perhaps one of the most hopeful, if not most powerful, of all books in the Bible. Because instead of pointing out the sins that separate us from God, it points to the Savior which draws us and compels us to come to God. Now the longer I live, I I realize the impact that your attitude has on your life. Charles Swindoll says that attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. 
We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play with the one string we have, and that is our attitude. And this is what I focus on. He said, I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. What you do and what you think. Those are the only things that you are in control of. You control your actions and you control your thoughts. If you can control your thoughts, you then can control your actions. Question. How would you describe the things that happen to you in life? And given that description, you would probably use an adjective. An adjective is a word that describes or qualifies a noun or pronoun. There are a lot of adjectives that we could use to, to say what happens to us. It gives color to things that might otherwise be black and white. Adjectives are powerful because it gives clarity to the very thing that's being described. For me to say that God is powerful, that gives you a very, very clear description of what God is. If I say my wife is beautiful, when you look at her, then the description is clear. There's something lovely that you can look at. Ugly means generally unpleasant, objectionable, or morally repulsive. Something that lacks in physical appealing features. Um, If I were to say that the clouds are looking ugly today, in your mind you would think that something bad in the way of a storm is on the way. Because I use that adjective, ugly. If I were to say that her attitude was ugly, you would think that the way she reacted to a particular situation was not pleasant. Therefore, something must be wrong. If I were to also say the child's behavior is ugly, again, it gives description to the way the child is behaving. Now, if I were to use the adjective good, that word means morally excellent, virtuous, righteous, satisfactory in quality, quantity, or degree. Something about it is pleasing to me. Therefore, I can deem it good. When God finished all of creation, rather than saying All types of of, of big words, God simply said, it's good. He said nothing else needs to be said about it. Simply, it is good. Now, if I were to say on the flip side of that, that the way she handled that situation was good, in your mind, it is clear that she did something right in light of whatever situation occurred. If I say we are going to have good church today, then you are expecting something that is going to be uplifting, energizing, and something that will motivate you to do something other than what you're doing right now. If I were to say that the temperature outside feels good, then you know that the temperature for me feels pretty good. Now, we classify what happens in our life as ugly things and good things. I should say we could. However you describe it. I would encourage you to use your words carefully. Now, we know from Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And it's funny how I, that, that, that scripture does exactly what I did. Instead of putting the negative at the end, Solomon put the negative at the beginning. Because he says death and life are in the power of the tongue. But, but what, what Solomon wants you to do is to choose life. He wants you to choose the better of the two. And he wants your focus On what's good. Amen. Amen. Now, in the book of James, chapter three, the author tells us that it would benefit the righteous to gain control of one smallest member of your body. He said it is very hard to control. And that what I'm talking about is your tongue. 
Verse 4 tells us that the small rudder controls the largest ship. In the same way, the tongue can change the course and direction, yet being very small in size. A good example of that is back during World War II on May 21st, 1941. The then thought unsinkable German battleship, the Bismarck, was sighted in the North Atlantic Ocean. Immediately, planes and ships from the Royal British Navy sped to the scene. As the Bismarck headed toward the German-controlled French coast, where it would be safe from attack, to the astonishment of all, the massive battleship suddenly swung around and re-entered the area where the British ships were massed in great strength. At the same time, the ship began to steer in an erratic zigzag uh, pattern, which made it much easier for the British to overtake. You see, unbeknownst to a lot of people, a torpedo had damaged the rudder. And without this control, the then thought unsinkable Bismarck was sunk. As the rudder controls the ship, so the tongue controls the person. Now, as I said earlier, as because death and life are in the power of the tongue, I would like for you to change the way you speak. I want you to stop calling things that happen in your life bad. But I want you to start calling them ugly. And the reason behind that is when we speak of things that are bad, we feel comfortable with that. And you might say that's a little bit of semantics. You're just using a play on words. But no, I'm really serious. You think about it. We feel comfortable with bad. Many of us growing up were told you're nothing but a bad child. Many of us can remember thinking as uh, teachers uh, scolded us about our grades, you just turn in nothing but bad grades. We hear bad over and over and over again that it becomes comfortable for us. And it's nothing for us to accept that title, for us to accept that adjective, you're bad. To make my point, let me do this. Think back to all of last year and carry forward into part of this year. If someone were agreed to pay you $10 for every positive thing that you have said about yourself or another person, then that person came and then made another agreement with you and said, you have to pay me $5 for every negative thing that you said about yourself or another person. Tell me this, would you be rich? All right. Just think about it. The reason why I want you to call things bad is because when you think of bad, you focus on yourself and not on God. Because bad is generally what we think of ourselves. Bad is what we feel comfortable with. Bad is what the enemy wants you to think about yourself. I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you really think of yourself as a good person? Most struggle with that, I would be willing to bet. Now, ugly, something that we don't want to have around us, makes us feel uncomfortable, makes us feel uneasy. You think about someone that in your life, because as I say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You come across someone that in your opinion, you would deem as ugly. You just don't care to be in that person's presence all that long. For some reason, it just wants to make you move. And I, I'm just being honest. Can we be real in here this morning now, y'all? I know we're super spiritual in here. I know we were all born saved. But, but I, I think you can be honest with yourself that we generally don't like things that are unattractive. Or I'm just going to go uh, off the political correct term and just say we don't like things that are ugly. You think about an unfla unflattering picture of yourself that you would describe as ugly. I'm not saying that you are ugly. I'm saying that the picture in whatever angle, whatever face, whatever movement that it was made, you probably weren't too pleased with it. Now, 
If someone were to say they wanted to hang that picture for all to see, what would you say then? You don't want it. You wouldn't want anybody seeing that. You want to rip it up. You want to get the copies, delete them, tear up all the negatives. You want to make sure that no one else has a record of that ever being seen. So because of that, I want you to think. You feel comfortable hearing bad phrases. You feel comfortable having people describe you as bad. But ugly? Now, that's a whole other term. So I want you to say that that was an ugly thing to happen to me today. Because I don't want that thing to happen to me again. Okay? We feel comfortable with bad. Ugly? Now, that's a whole other story. All right. So now let's get back uh, to our lesson. An ugly occurrence in our lives would be something like you losing your job unexpectedly. With all the bad news, there it is again, that we hear about what's going on within our country and the the outlook they have for the rest of of this year. Don't describe it as bad. Say, man, things are ugly. Because I don't want that coming close to me. I want it far away from me. Something else that you might call bad is a car accident happening or, or, or some uh, illness attacking your body and bringing it down. All these things can be described as unpleasant, correct? Somebody say, Lord have mercy. Now, a good occurrence might be you getting a raise, having someone encourage you in your Christian walk, or, or, or you finding something unexpected that was a blessing to you. Oh, yes, we then say, yes, that was good. For that, we'll say, thank you, Jesus. Now, Paul starts out our text today talking about hope. Beginning of chapter 8, verse 1, is riddled with hope. Um, Hope is a mysterious thing that has a lot of power. Now, our Christian walk um, is something that we need to pay particular attention to as as it relates to hope. Now, it's mysterious and it's hard to explain. Um, But when you got it, you know it. And when you use it, you can change some things in your life. You want some examples of how it can change some things in your life? Now, hope is what Noah had when he was told to build a boat because it was going to rain. Now, you have to understand when Noah was told this, it had never rained before. It was a foreign term and no one probably knew what Noah meant when he said, hey, it's going to rain. He had to build a boat in a place where there was no lake, pond, creek, ocean, or a trickle of water. Back then, the, 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 the earth was moisturized by, by a, a, a cloud that surrounded and moisture, just kind of a, a mist, if you will, just, just was everywhere. So when you talk about water falling from the sky, what? Didn't that make sense to people? But Noah had hope. He hoped in God, and because he hoped in God, he saved the whole world. What could you build if you had hope? Hope is what Abraham had when he was childless. He hoped in God and Isaac was born. What could you have birthed in your life? You had hope. Hope is what Daniel had when he was told not to pray to God or or that he would lose his life. But he hoped in God and even in the face of danger. Instead of becoming dinner for the lions, he may have used them as a pillow as he slept. What could bring you comfort if you got hope? Hope is what the three Hebrew boys had when they were told to worship the king or be killed. They hoped in God and instead of being burned alive... They had an encounter with the Savior. What situation in your life would you have an opportunity to have Jesus come personally see about you? If you just have a small word like hope. Getting back to our text. Verse 24 says, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for what we see not, then with patience, wait for it. Now the Greek word for hope is elpis. 
It means to have an expectation with confidence and anticipation with pleasure. You know how it is. Your mama told you when you were young that when she got home, she was going to take you to the store. It didn't matter what happened that day. That's what you looked for. Mama taking me to the store. You had an expectation that you were going to receive something that was going to make you happy. We know what hope is. Hope is being told that, that you're going to, that you're going to uh, 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 benefit from something that somebody's going to give in your life. They tell you, I'm going to give this to you because God told me to do it. And because of that expectation, you wait for it and you believe it's going to take place. Now, we are saved by having expectation with confidence. Jesus didn't come to me and said, James Sappho, here and today I'm going to save you. But because of what the word of God says, and because God's speaking to me, and me hearing his voice, when the Bible tells me in John 3:16 that for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but they'll have an everlasting life. For that, yes. I have an expectation with confidence. God said it. I believe it. It has not materialized in my hands, but oh, it is coming. As a matter of fact, I already have it. The word of God tells me that I'm right now a citizen of two places. The world I live in right now, but my name is already written in high. And because I have this hope, this expectation, I know God's not going to disappoint me. Because I've got it, guess what? I'm going to wait for it. And it's coming soon. It is coming soon. Hope is what Dr. King had when he looked at the injustices of his day against the people. He wrote his I have a dream speech. In it, he said, I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face difficulties today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. Him saying that he had a dream was him saying, yes, guess what? I'm hoping for something brighter and better. Hope is what you need. Hope is what we need. We need hope. I'm going to pause right now and thank those who are listening to airjesus.com. You can go to airjesus.com and reference sermon number 6284 for its entirety. Again, I want to thank you for listening because, brother, thank you for listening to Brothers of the Word because, brother, you need the Word. This ends message number 6284 by James Sappho. To hear other messages or to send this message number 6284 to a friend, simply go to airjesus.com or theonlineword.com. This has been message number 6284, the ugly and the good. Listen to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com often and keep your spirit charged up.